I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetters for another edition of Dogman Radio. Back from New York, back from Newark, back from New Brunswick. It's a long flight back from New York, but road trips are always a blast, and uh, this one was no exception. Good time back in New York, uh, hitting Manhattan, hitting Newark, and just hitting some of the surrounding areas, but... Uh, uh, nice win by Washington. Not what some of the people wanted to see, but not surprising either if you've been following Chris Peterson with, uh, you know, with what he's been doing. But we both got a chance to rewatch the game. You have a different angle. I have a different angle. You see it different from home. So I picked up a lot of different things from watching it, rewatching it. I'm sure you did too as well, Chris. Well, yeah, Kim. I think the, the biggest thing that I wanted to check out initially was – just how bad was the first half? And, you know, I got varying reports. You know, I talked to some people when I got back, you know, and they said, hey, you know, Washington looked pretty good in the second half, first half. Uh, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't think they looked that bad in the first half. I'm going to be honest. I just didn't see a team that was really failing in a lot of aspects. Yeah, there was some execution errors, and there were some, certainly some things that really killed some drives, namely some penalty killers like the 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 pass interference on Dante Pettis to kill the first drive. And then you had uh, the hold with Trey Adams that stalled another drive. So, you know, these were some self-inflicted stuff. There's no doubt about it. Um, but again, I think the hallmark of a really good team is that if, if one part of the, of the machine or the engine isn't working quite right and you still, you're trying to fine tune it, the rest of the engine, you know, makes up for it. And I think in special teams, especially early on, that was huge. Getting the two punts down deep into Rutgers territory really set the tone. And obviously Dante Pettis' punt return was huge as well. So again, I, I don't, I'm, I don't want to say that the first half was great for Washington. It wasn't, they obviously had a ton to clean up and I thought they cleaned it up, but I don't think it was nearly as bad as, as maybe what a lot of people thought it was. When I was down on the sidelines, you know, one of the things I noticed, it just seemed like, the game was just so broken up. It was really tough to get any momentum with the TV timeouts and, you know, some of the penalties. But then, you know, you go back and look at the game and you don't realize what's going on at times until you rewatch it. Rutgers was really draining the play clock down and they were attempting to, you know, uh, shorten the game. So with Rutgers trying to shorten the game, you know, and all the TV timeouts, it, the game, the first half definitely just had no tempo to it whatsoever. And that may have been part of the issue, too, because I'm sure you saw this because I sure saw it on the sidelines as well as on the field. There just didn't seem to be a lot of passion out there. Everything was vanilla and they seemed to be going through the motions. Is that what you saw? Well, I don't know if I, I don't know if lack of passion or going through the motions is how I would describe it, but I think they treated it like a business trip, and I think they tried to deal with they tried to treat it like it was business, like just go out there, do your job, and you know take care of the process, and the result will take care of itself type stuff. And and I think they needed to have a little bit more juice. I think they needed to have some of their playmakers make some plays early on to kind of keep them going. And there's definitely, there's no doubt that physically on the lines of scrimmage in the first half, they really got, I don't think they got manhandled per se, but I think they, they really got challenged by Rutgers on both sides and Rutgers won those battles, I think early on, which allowed Rutgers to get into some third and very easy and manageable situations. Whereas Washington, by suffering some penalties and then not getting their running game going early, 
really put Jake Browning in that passing game into some uh, tougher situations and allowed Rutgers to kind of pin their ears back and get after him a little bit. So, yeah, I think it was a combination of things, but I would give Rutgers a lot of credit. Yeah. You know, they did a lot of good recruiting in the offseason, getting a lot of good transfers in, like Kyle Bolin, Gus Edwards, uh, the kid, the wide receiver that they brought back in from Arkansas, that's a New Jersey kid. They, you know, they, they brought some pieces to really help them fill the gaps, and their yeah. lines was their lines were still very, very good. So I think Rutgers is a team yeah. that might do uh, might do some good things this year. And I think Isaiah, uh, Elijah Qualls, you know, really made a good point. I talked about this, you know, right after the game. He said when taking a look at the offensive line, the offensive line was holding their blocks. They weren't really driving. And watching the replay of the game, they weren't getting pushed. They were just standing guys up and trying to move them around. They weren't really getting the push. But, Chris, we've been through this before with Chris Peterson. As the season starts, that offense is vanilla. It's vanilla. You, They didn't open the playbook at all against Rutgers. I expect them to open it up a little bit more with Montana. Again, a little bit more with Fresno State. And by the time the conference schedules hits, we'll have the full playbook out for display. But I, I thought it was very vanilla, and we've seen this before. I, I would agree with the vanilla comment, and I think, frankly, I think it's also just the fact of they're going to work on trying to do what they did well in fall camp and just focus on uh, a handful of plays and really and a handful of concepts and really hammer those concepts in. And I, and I think, to be honest with you, Kim, if you're Jonathan Smith, if you're Matt Lubick, if you're Chris Peterson, and you're thinking offensively, what's the, what's the most conservative way and, and probably the most common-sense way we're going to get this win is to just use the depth, use the depth, hammer away, hammer away at Rutgers, because Rutgers' first 11 on each side is pretty good, but after that, their depth's pretty thin. If you could start getting those guys rotating a little bit and then throw some tempo on them in the second half like they did, then you started to see Washington have some real success and get some chunk plays after chunk plays. But again, they need, really need to shore up the red zone stuff too because they had some field goals. And again, Tristan Vizcaino, three for three for field goals, phenomenal going forward. But they got to turn those field goals into touchdowns. That, that That's crucial. I think the biggest surprise of the game, and I also talked about this, was Miles Gaskin only getting seven carries, but he also had five um, five receptions. And the one thing that became real, real clear, Miles Gaskin in space is special. Uh, you give him a little bit of room, um, he may be the most explosive player on the team. Uh, so uh, that's what I saw on film. You know, Miles Gaskin in space is going to be special. We'll see how many carries he gets against uh, uh, against Montana. But, uh, you know, that was probably one of the things that jumped out most to me when I rewatched the film. What else jumped out at you when rewatching the game, Chris? Well, those two big catches, the one down the Washington sideline and then the other one for the touchdown – Really, I think they really sparked Washington's offense in a big way in that second half and really gave them some confidence to kind of keep going forward, to keep pressing it and saying, hey, you know, as long as we do the right things, we've got the playmakers on our side of the ball to get the job done. And he's obviously clearly one of the playmakers. But again, when you look at two, 12 total touches on, a, on, a, on an offense that only had 54, 55 total touches the entire game, that's not a wacky percentage. You know what I mean? He probably got about the percentage that you would expect, you know, what is that? Probably 20%, something like that of the total touches. You might maybe expect a little bit more than that, but it's, it, it's not completely out of whack. The problem was they just couldn't sustain drives in the first half. So they literally had no offense outside of the, of the, the, the punt return by Pettis really. And well, so, 
time of possession was lopsided because they were, you know, milking the clock. And I haven't had a chance to go back and look at stats, but, you know, the total plays per game, I'm guessing that was pretty low compared to where they were last year, uh, total number of snaps on offense. Well, there's no doubt. And I think, you know, I've, I've seen some comments on the message boards kind of alluding to the fact that they think Chris Ash may have um, – you know, maybe try to like, you know, like you said, milking the clock all the way down to inside five seconds, every snap, trying to really, uh, you know, take the air out of the ball in a big, big way. Um, and maybe in a way to try to minimize the damage. Like he thinks, you know, Washington's so explosive like they were last year that maybe it could get away from him. And as long as it was, is with, it was within a couple touchdowns, then they had a chance to maybe do some things. So there's something to that as well. And again, 38 minutes, they had over 38 minutes. That's amazing. And being on the road like that, that's a really hard hill to climb for even for a top 10 team on the road. That's tough. Chris Peterson talked about it after the game. He thought that uh, at times Rutgers was more physical than Washington, which is kind of surprising. And just going back and watching the game film, I thought I'd see a little bit more physicality. There were no big hits. I didn't see JoJo McIntosh, Ezekiel Turner, who would you expect to you know, light up a couple of receivers? No big hits. And those are the momentum changes. Those are the things that inspire a team. Those are the things that give that energize the sidelines. And, you know, the guy that was missing that can cause a lot of that is Zeem Victor. I think they missed the Zeem Victor, you know, not just on his ability, but, uh, you know, just his leadership is, voca- voc- you know, how vocal he is out there. And he's an intimidator over the middle. People don't want to go across the middle with Zeem Victor, you know, knowing Ezekiel Turner and, and um, Jojo McIntosh are back there. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, you're glassed in up in the press box, so you don't get to see it as much. But he was kind of dead back there. And like I said, I think they missed the Zeem Victor more than people know. Well, when you well, he's a preseason All American, Kim. I, I think they know exactly what they missed. And the thing about you know having Ben Burkirvan in there and Sean Constantine in there, they're good players. They're trustworthy players. They will be in the right position to make the play. They will fit the run and all of those things. The problem is they don't have the lead and the pencil quite like Azim Victor does, and and not many guys really do. I mean, he is really that much of an enforcer, and I think that's why he's a preseason All-American, is because he, he comes with an intimidating label. You know, that's kind of his M.O. And I think when, also, the other thing is when Jake Browning takes that monster, monster hit in that second series, that really set the tone as far as hitting went, and you never really saw Washington have that kind of a hit. I do think JoJo McIntosh, I do think Zeke Turner, I do think Keyshawn Bieria had some big hits in that game, but when you put when you when you put those side by side with that hit that Jake Browning took it just doesn't compare not only not only missing uh Azeem Victor but missing DJ Beavers too who really played well at the end of last season and uh it just to me it just seemed like you know not to bag on Ben Burkirvan because I thought he had a decent game but he's playing linebacker like a safety He's just not big enough, Chris. He just doesn't have enough bulk there. And when he was getting hit, guys weren't stopping. You know, they'd go for another couple of yards. But, you know, he was able to chase things down. But uh, I think that made a big difference, too, them missing DJ Beavers. Do we have any word on that? Well, Pete's not going to talk about it, I guess. No, he won't talk about it. And, and again, with Ben Burkirvan, the, the one nice thing about playing inside like that is that Washington's really, really good in pursuit. And so, it, you know, as long as he kind of – gets his nose in there and can kind of get the guy stymied, the rest of those guys usually come in really, really quick. 
The only problem came with when he didn't necessarily get direct hits on some of those guys. He was easy to bounce off of, easy to kind of slide by him, and that's where some of the problems occurred, especially when he was asked to go sideline to sideline. If all he had to do was fill a gap, like a run fit, that was a little easier for him to do, in my opinion. Yeah, and like I said, you know, when he was meeting guys head, head on, he wasn't able to stop them that well. I think chasing guys down from the backside, you know, is his strength. He got in a couple of blitzes and, you know, was able to slow guys out and wait for the reinforcements to come. So uh, it'll be interesting to see with Azeem Victor returning. I'm not sure I'd want to be a running back on the first series going up against Azeem Victor. It's going to take, uh, you know, maybe half the defense to calm that guy down, you know, before the game. He's going to be raring to go. So Well, that that's good. That's good. You yeah. always want to hold guys back instead of pushing them forward. But then again, as we remember with guys like Lester Towns, they used to get so revved up and so hyped that they used to overrun plays a lot too. So he's still going to have to try to figure out how to play with some control. Well, I think what's going to be interesting, Chris, you know, we can, you know, put the, um, you know, the opening season game behind us uh, coming up in Montana, which uh, they're nowhere near as good as Rutgers. I think you'll see uh, more playing time for some of the backup people. Uh, I think you'll see more domination by the defensive line, the offensive line as well, and get them off on the right track. And I think that Jonathan Smith may put a couple more pages into opening up of the offensive playbook. Well, yeah, they'll obviously add some wrinkles for sure. I mean, they don't want to just keep doing what they did against Rutgers and just allow Montana to have a full game's worth of film to just scout and say, okay, this is what they do. They're going to have to throw some things in there. And like Savon Ahmed only got a couple carries. Uh, Hunter Bryant only got a couple looks. Um, some of these other guys, you know, they didn't play any of the true freshman receivers. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they can still throw in there for sure. No doubt about it. And outside of Drew Sample, who I thought had a really, really good night, um, definitely yeah. one of the guys I don't think we've paid enough attention to in that game. But outside of him, the tight ends were kind of non-existent. So getting another one of those guys in there I think might be important as well. Hunter Bryant won. He had one reception. He played a little bit more, but it was good to see Hunter, you know, get out there. But um, again, and I think this just, you know, it was probably what stood out most after that game was Chris Peterson saying, getting the young guys in there and just getting, you know, that baptism and then having them figure out that what we're teaching does work. The techniques we've been teaching does work. I think that's going to be huge coming up for Montana this week. So, uh, you know, what are you expecting for Montana? Anything in particular, Chris? No, other than, I mean, they played Valparaiso and, and they beat them 45 to 23, but at one point they were down early in that game. So, you know, I don't know, how good Valparaiso is, I have no idea. Didn't even know they were at the FCS level, to be honest with you. But I just expect a well-coached team, and, you know, they have a proud, proud history. I mean, this is a game, honestly, that Grizz fans have been waiting for for a long time. I mean, this is a, this is a game they would they have wanted to come to Seattle, I think, for a long time. And, um, you know, they've won national championships at the FCS level. So um, this is not going to be a pushover by any stretch. If You know, if, if people want a, a comparison at all, I think people need to look at what the kind of history that Eastern Washington brought to the table when they played at uh, at Husky Stadium. Now, do I do they have a Vernon Adams type player? I don't know about that. I, I, I doubt it. But I guarantee you they're going to be well coached, and they're not going to come into Husky Stadium scared by any stretch. There's a good alumni base from Montana in the Seattle area, as well as you know they've got a good program back there. They sell their stadium out there, and it's events. It's a small stadium, but it's a small town as well. 
But it's a pretty cool atmosphere, and they have a winning tradition back there. So, yeah, they're going to be fired up coming into Husky Stadium, and there may be more Montana fans in the stands than you think of. Definitely more Montana fans than you saw from Eastern Washington. I'll promise you that. Uh, you know, it's like I said, it's got a good alumni base here in the city of Seattle, um, and I'm sure Ryan Divish will be there. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. Yeah. Well, I don't know if the Mariners play, but if not, you know, Ryan's a, a grad of uh, Montana and a big supporter, so yep. I'm sure uh, I'm sure he'll be all over it. So, anyways, uh, press conference with Peace Chris Peterson on Monday at what uh, twelve o'clock, Chris? Twelve o'clock. Yep. Twelve o'clock will be there, and I know they'll be. Well, I think they'll be streaming it live as well. Any final thoughts to wrap up the uh, the Rutgers game, Chris? No, just that you know, just the Pac-12 in general is it kind of had a funky week. Um, just just wrapped up. We're doing this Sunday night, and just wrapped up a, a one of the crazier games you'll ever see uh, in any season with uh, UCLA being thirty-five points down and and or thirty-four points down and winning forty-five forty-four over Texas A&M. Uh, Josh Rosen cemented himself, I think, as a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate, and then you know USC scoring enough points at the end to beat Western Michigan, but they gave up 31 points. So that's a lot of points to give up at home to Western Michigan, who I know is a good team. They have a lot of talent left over from that team last year, but uh, still a lot of points for a number four team in the country. And then Cal going to North Carolina and winning Oregon state, barely beating Portland state, Oregon shellacking a directional Utah team. And it goes on and on. So, um, Pac-12 is going to be a really, really, really interesting conference, and it's already starting uh, out to to be that way. First half of the UCLA game, it was Jim Mora just put himself on the hot, 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 hot seat, and then midway through the fourth quarter, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and get off the seat. Kevin Sumlin, have a seat, because now Kevin Sumlin's going to be on that hot, 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 hot seat at Texas A&M. But, um, you know, football's upon us, and then, uh, you know, I call it the preseason with these first three games before we get into the Pac-12 season, so... Um, it, it's always funny on the message boards, people panicking and thinking what you saw is what you're going to get. This is going to be a team that's going to improve as the season goes along. I expect them to be better this week and just get better as the season goes along. Am I concerned? No. Is there any re- reason for concerns? I don't think you can have any reason for concern after just one game, especially, you know, with this vanilla as it was. So, uh, Montana coming up in Fresno State before we head into the Pac-12 season. Uh, enjoy the ride. You know, it's just you know, we've gone through these preseason games in the past like this where, uh, you know, they've just been scary as crap. So these should be three easy wins for Washington. I anticipate them being 3-0 and going into conference play. And, boy, you know, I'm just glad it started, Chris. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm just glad it started. Yeah, it's great to start, and it's good to start with a road win and, and a good road trip and had some fun and, and uh, worked hard. And, uh, you know, now we're back in Seattle, you know, we just go through another week and it'll be interesting to see another opponent and, and obviously opponent that's going to have a, uh, they're going to come in with a lot of, uh, a lot of emotion, a lot of energy, and we'll see if Washington can match them. Yeah. Just a couple of reminders. So, you know, first of all, if you want da- the daily updates in your inbox, when you wake up in the morning or during the day, just shoot us a ma- uh, an email, huskystadium at gmail.com. In the subject line, just put newsletter. We'll put you on our newsletter list, and we get those out four or five, six times a, a week, and we'll get you updated with what's going on with all the links you know, to the site with the, the newest, and that's going to be expanding here shortly. Also, Sports Radio 950 KJR, every Tuesday night from 630 to 8, you can pretty much book us. 
throughout the season every Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8. KJR, depending on um, uh, game time. Excuse me. God, I'm, I'm partial. <laughs> it's been a long week, Chris. But uh, KJR, every uh, Saturday during the during the season, depending on the uh, start of the game time, and then Tuesdays, uh, 6.30 to 8. So, anyways, uh, it's good to be back home. It's a long road trip back. So, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Reynolds along with Chris Fetters. Go dogs.